Coming up, a quick question from you about the federal government and their filthy, tax-grabbing, revenue-addicted fingers. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap for buyers here in Australia. You can hit me up on the website for that. Now, Daniel Creederman is asking this question about import duty, so let us get right into it. He says, just a question thou, since there are no Australian cars being made here in Shitsville, shouldn't Gov be also dropping the international car import tax now? I suspect they won't, cause they are just greedy bastards. Now, greed, power and incompetence. It's a sort of three-way collision that you and I would colloquially refer to as the federal government and their addiction to revenue, even when that revenue has no ongoing rational basis for existing. And that is absolutely the case here. I think Daniel's talking about the import duty that is notionally applied to new cars. And we better talk about how that works. Basically, you've got a car, it gets landed here, let's say, for 30 grand and sold for 40 grand. The import tariff of 5% is imposed on the landed cost, okay? So landed cost, 30 grand, 5% on top, 1,500 bucks. And then if it gets sold for 40 grand, the rest of that on top of the 31,500 is the importer's profit margin and the dealer's profit margin. Interestingly on this, they don't disclose the absolute amount of import duty payable on any car because the car industry doesn't want you to know. And they don't want you to know because if you knew that, you could reverse engineer their profit margins. You could calculate the landed cost based on the import duty payable and then you could look at the retail price and subtract the two and get the profit margin and you would thus be in a more powerful position vis-a-vis -vis negotiation and the industry would hate that. So they've lobbied the government and that information, the absolute amount of import duty payable on a per car basis is undisclosed. It is held commercially in confidence. So before you get your tits way out of joint about import duty, it's worth remembering that our three key automotive trading partners, the three countries that we get most of our new cars from, which would be Japan, Thailand and South Korea, we have free trade agreements with all of them. We also have a free trade agreement with Retardistan. And we take a lot of cars from those four countries. I've got the numbers here. I'll just refer to the screen, if you don't mind. From Japan in 2019, we imported 334,000 new cars, 271,000 from Thailand, 151,000 from South Korea, and 41,000 cars from the United States together. That's a total of broadly 800,000 cars in a market of roughly 1.1 million vehicles. So the vast majority of cars that come here are no longer subjected to import tariff and you don't pay it. Okay, so that's got to be a good thing. There are still about 200,000 new vehicles subject to paying import tariff and one of the pro tips here is it works like this, okay? It's not about the location of the brand geographically. It's about where the factory is located. And you get these sort of unexpected anomalies in the system. For example, take Renault. Renault's a French brand, obviously, and you think they'd manufacture in Europe. But if you buy a Colios in Australia, it's not subjected to import tariff because it's actually manufactured in South Korea. Go figure, like, what the... 
the backstory there is that Renault has a partnership with Samsung in South Korea. They've got a factory there, and that's where the right hook Coleos has come from. So you'd be paying an import tariff on a Renault sourced from Europe, but not so much the Coleos. So you want to bear that in mind. You'd look for the factory and not the location of the head office is what I'm saying. You'd have to say that there's about broadly, and I'm just sort of spitballing it, but it's about this number. There's about 1 billion Schittsvillian micro pesos still payable every year in import tariff. And that does seem fantastically inequitable because what industry exactly are we trying to protect by imposing this tariff, which is meant to be there to protect the local industry, which is dead and buried many years ago now. A bigger problem, perhaps, is luxury car tax, which is insidious and also inequitable in some ways, principally because it was imposed to protect the local industry notionally as well, and yet it is still here and no local industry. Luxury car tax works like this, all right? It's payable above a price of $66,000 for conventional cars and $75,000 for so-called fuel-efficient cars. So there's two tiers. If you've got a conventional car, 66 grand. If you've got a Prius or something or, you know, some Lexus hybrid, it's going to be imposed from 75 grand. And it's the amount above this threshold which is subject to luxury car tax. So as a simple example, if you take a $100,000 conventional car, there's $34,000 of margin above the $66,000 luxury car tax threshold and about a quarter of that, 25% of that is subject to luxury car tax, all right? The luxury car tax component is 25% of the margin. In that case, on a $100,000 conventional car, it's eight and a half thousand dollars worth of luxury car tax. And when you look at Mercedes-Benz, BMW and Audi, when you combine their sales every year here in Schittsville, you get about 70,000 vehicles. And I don't know what the average price is, but let's just say for shits and giggles and to make the mathematics easy, let's just say the average price of the combined sales per unit of Audi, BMW and Mercedes-Benz is 166000 bucks a car. That's $25,000 in luxury car tax times 70,000 vehicles, which is one and three quarter billion, with a B, dollars, okay? A billion and three quarters. Jesus, that's a lot of hoot, right? Together with the tariff that's already being paid on 200,000 cars, for about spitballing it a billion dollars. So nearly $3 billion in revenue to protect an industry that no longer exists and which has not existed for years. So politicians are assholes, certainly. I get that. And they want the revenue. I get that. And I'd suggest that if we want to tax luxury as a society, we should have an informed debate about that, shouldn't we? And if we do decide to tax luxury, let's not just tax luxury cars. Let's tax luxury watches and luxury apartments and luxury holidays and luxury yachts and all other, you know, $35,000 handbags, whatever. Let's tax that. Let's be equitable across the playing field if we decide as a society that the concept of luxury can be defined 
and is taxable. And there would want to be a reason for that. And I don't know what that is because we have not had that debate. Luxury car tax is just there to protect a dead industry. It's not there because society demands a tax on luxury goods. We're already paying GST on luxury goods and it is proportional to the price. So there's that. Maybe that's the case against taxing luxury generally. And I don't really give a shit if some dude who buys a Rolls Royce for a million bucks has to pay a quarter of a million dollars in tax because, hey, he's probably got it and I fundamentally don't care. I mean, he's sleeping on a mattress stuffed with $1,000 bills and packed on top with as many Ming moles as he wants, isn't he? So it's hard to feel very much sympathy there. Politicians, like I said, they are assholes, but so are car makers, you know, because these luxury car makers are, on the one hand, absolutely against luxury car tax, and on the other hand, they play this grubby game of politics via their lobby group in Canberra with the ethics of getting rid of it. And they don't have the moral compass to just go, you know what, luxury car tax is unethical and bad and must be ended, must be cut out like a friggin' cancer. Let's just cut it out and deal with the fallout. They sit there in their boardrooms and they go, oh, Jesus, what about the fallout? What are existing owners going to think? How about the guy who buys, I don't know, an E-class Mercedes-Benz today, and then without warning, they abolish luxury car tax tonight at midnight or something? Because all of a sudden, that E-class, which he bought for 166000 bucks, is available for about... 140,000 bucks tomorrow. So that's a bit of a shit, I think you'd agree. And also his resale value just got tanked, didn't it? And so did all of these other fat cats who just paid luxury car tax on their cars. So the industry is having this sort of internal battle. They forget about right and wrong and, you know, what's moral and ethical and what's not. And they think about, well, Jesus, how can we sell more cars next month, you know? And they concentrate on the politics of just that. And it leads them absolutely astray. So one of the reasons we've still got luxury car tax is that the main victims of luxury car tax, which would be the companies trying to sell those luxury cars, Audi, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, et al., right? they are also not strenuously advocating for the immediate removal of this unjust tax on behalf of our customers. They're playing a filthy game of politics with next month's sales. And if you're in the market, you are absolutely a victim of that. So if you think any of that is unequitable, needs to change, must be redressed as a matter of urgency once society gets back on track, then I'd suggest what you need to do is go and make an appointment to see your local member, right? And you tell them that this is a problem for you. You need this fixed because it's a great societal inequity. And if enough of you do that and get involved in the political process, your local member will go to... and make representations on your behalf to the relevant minister. And that's what we bloody well need in this country. A few more Australians willing to advocate strenuously in the political process to get what is right. 